You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. It's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Welcome back to another episode. I have just returned from sunny, beautiful Los Angeles. Everyone who lives in California, like, what does it feel like to have gorgeous weather every single day? Absolutely amazing. I will say, I feel like everyone in LA starts their days at 6.30 a.m., and I don't know how you do it. I am not a morning person. I've never been a morning person. When you travel from the East Coast to the West Coast, your body clock just kind of naturally makes you wake up earlier. But even with that, I took my Saturday to sleep in because we did not travel with Mavi. We traveled just me and Umut. My parents were back in New York taking care of Mavi. So it's rare as a mom to get a morning to sleep in. So I was very grateful for that. And today you guys are going to hear from Georgie or Gigi, someone that I have always admired. And she and I actually have a lot in common. We were both English majors. We both love film and we're both really interested in the future of beauty and where it's going. I guess the big difference is she has a company. She is one of the co-founders of Milk Makeup. But I really, really appreciated hearing from her. I also, one of the things that really made Milk Makeup stand out to me in these past few years, 2020, George Floyd, there was this whole conversation, pull up or shut up if you guys saw it, basically where brands were called to release their diversity stats, to be transparent about how many Black people worked at the company, how many Black people were in executive positions. And Milk Makeup was one of the few brands that transparently shared and continues to transparently share what they're doing on the diversity front. So I was super excited to ask her about that and just how she's approached building HR along with building a company. We also get into all of her beauty faves. I love hearing what people use in their bath because again, I don't have a bath We have a bathtub, but it's used for storage. So anytime someone gives me this like in-depth bath routine, I'm just all ears because it just sounds so lovely. And I'm almost forgetting one of the most important things we have in common, the hatred of manicures. As I record this now, I'm looking down at my nails and they're just so sad. And I've actually started to think like, should I just forgo manicures entirely? Because I feel like it's this chore, this thing that I always have to do on my to-do list. And then sometimes I feel like, oh, if I want to shoot all of this beauty content, I should have a nice manicure. But do you guys even care if my nails are done or not as you look at my social content? Probably not. So I've been thinking a lot about will manicures be a thing of the past for me? I haven't decided yet. 
I am really excited to share that I have the prototypes of my heatless hair rollers that I've been talking to you guys about that I'm developing. I hope that I can release them this year. I use them in LA. Wonderful. Gives such a nice curl. So easy to sleep in. I even popped a few in like 30 minutes before we had to be somewhere and the curls were there. The curls were there. So I'm really excited about that. And it also just like makes me excited as I hear from different brand founders. Not everyone has this like traditional path to creating a brand or creating a company. And of course, this is like one little product. It's not like a full-fledged company. But I'm feeling more and more every week that goes by more empowered in my decision to begin, you know, developing some products here and there for you guys. So I'm super excited about that. Let's get into the conversation with Georgie. It's a really wonderful one. And I hope you guys are as inspired by her journey and story as I was. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I'm here joined with Georgie Gervais. Now, now you told me how to pronounce it, so now I'm like super conscious about it, and I'm going to say it wrong. Gravel, Gravel, Gravel. Whatever feels right to you. You pronounce your beautiful name. I go by Georgie Greville. Greville. I was way off. Okay, but I don't. I don't know. It's open to interpretation. <laughs> Greville. That's why most of the time I go by Gigi uh, because it is a French name, and so most people like if it was traditionally pronounced, it'd be like Greville. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'm so excited to have you on. I am such a fan of milk makeup and I am very, very careful about which founders or like beauty executives I have on the show because I find a lot of them to be just boring and just like on a hard sell. I'm just being honest with you. No, totally. Um, There's a lot of media training going on. Exactly. And some of them just don't have that much to say. Milk Makeup is such a unique brand. It has a point of view. It stands out, the marketing, the advertising. And I know you have such a huge hand in what makes it special and gives it that it factor. We met, how many years ago was it that we met at Viacom? I was actually looking at that panel that you hosted. And I think it was... It was around 10 years ago, eight years ago, something like that. Oh, my gosh. Well, wait, no, it couldn't have been that long ago. No, no, no. Yeah, you're right. It was like four four years ago. Yeah, Yeah. no, sorry. I'm like, COVID has really messed up my brain. I swear to God. (laughs) No, same. What is time anymore? Um, But you were so impressive. And I've been like wanting to have you on for a while. I feel like we talked about it then. But you were like, it's not ready. Some things are changing. So now you're here and now we can get into it. And I'm just really excited for this conversation. So thank you. Oh my God. I'm so happy to be here. I I love your podcast. Thank you very much. I love how it's developed and I just, you're a natural and thank you. you like are just so Zen in the host role. I've, I'm like, 
do you ever have like bloopers in where you oh. I mean I can't even imagine like the way you anyway I I I really respect how you conduct your podcast and thank I'm you happy very much to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, great guests make it easy. So I want to hear about your relationship to beauty growing up. Take us to the beginning. Okay. So I was sort of like a, an army brat without the army. My dad is a British, was a British. Um, he's still alive, but he was a British, um, businessman for Citibank. He's English. He grew up in England and Ireland and he was recruited to be sort of like an international businessman for Citibank. So he okay. started in New York, met my mom there randomly, literally like a very cute New York, like happenstance. They both worked at Citibank kind of story. And then we moved wherever Citibank wanted us to move, where my dad was actually like helping acquire business and and setting up offices and stuff like that. So I was born in Australia and then we moved to Singapore and then London in kind of like four to five year stints. And then we moved back to New York And then my father transitioned jobs into a new role. And then we moved to Boston for my teen years and kind of my parents ended up settling there. So New York was where my parents met and it was always like my home base. And even though I grew up overseas, it was like there was always sort of like an experimental part of style that I feel like is very New York kind of instilled in me. Um, But yeah, throughout growing up, and up into my adulthood and continuing on, of course, style is just, you know, integral to every every iteration of ourselves, right? Like that has to be a part of your your evolution. And, and it's so fun. And yes. Yeah. Creative. Who were some of your beauty icons growing up? I was kind of a big tomboy. I still am. And it's, it's, inter- it's been interpreted in different ways, like in terms of the icons I follow. But when I was a teen... I feel like Lisa Bonet on The Cosby Show. <laughs> like, iconic. You know, I really, truly just like... And still is, by the way. Like there's like Cosby oh Show God. era Lisa Bonet and then like 2022 Lisa Bonet and both are baddies. Like honestly, the best. Yeah. And um, you can't get any better. And in terms of just like how she wears her pants, how she cuffs, you know, like everything and the, the swagger, you know. Yeah. But I heard she broke up with that guy, right? She did. She's single. She's but I'm not worried. Nobody's worried. No one's worried. She's going to bounce back. <laughs> She'll be with whoever she wants to be. That's why she's an icon. Yeah. So that kind of energy. And then I had like my high school and early 20s when I was kind of like Raver, Goth, Harajuku, Gwen Stefani, Lady Miss Cure from Delight, that kind of mood. But my own thing, you know, it was Mm -hmm. like a weird melange of these things. Yes. I was in a band. I played guitar and I sang badly. Not, I didn't know that. No, nobody needs to know. <laughs> you know what? Does Gwen does Gwen Stefani get the credit she deserves for her beauty icon status? Because what a lot of the girls are doing now, that's like Gwen late nineties. Exactly, and I, I mean, in my circle, she does. Okay, yeah, I feel. I like hope Gen Z just knows and appreciates. I feel like there's enough Gwen, like early Gwen, okay, love out there for sure. Okay, I mean, that makes me feel. Good. I, yeah, I definitely think so because that was a major. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. The baggy pants, the cutoff shirts, just like the everything. Yeah. And the full face. The full face and sneakers, you know, the whole So thing. chic. <laughs> now, how did you find your way to Milk Studios, which eventually became your way into creating Milk Makeup? And like, did you ever even see yourself in the beauty world? Uh, no. I mean, I, I would never have imagined this route in my life at all. Or any of it. I mean, honestly, like I wasn't one of those people in college that was like, I'm going to be a director. And like, you know, I my one thing that I keep coming back to, 
you know, when I was in like lower school, when people asked you what you wanted to be and everybody was like, firefighter, like veterinarian. I want to be, I always wanted to be a writer. I thought being a writer mm. was like the most respectable, cool thing you could ever be. I think because I was like a bookworm, I loved reading. And I mean, true to that in a weird way, I kind of wrote myself into every scenario in my mm. life. You know, I wrote charming emails to get like finally in the door at MTV after three negs of like not getting in. <laughs> and then I wrote on open pitches at MTV when I was accepted into the on-air department as a as a sort of intern production assistant. And for those that don't know, back then, this is, I'm talking about like 2001, MTV was still pretty that, reverent, very cool. Everything. Was every, I mean, TRL. It was, every, it was like the center of the universe. It was, a, yeah, it was really, it really brought together like pop culture, unbridled creativity, yes. irreverence, but also like these public service announcements that actually resonated with teens that yes. were like told in a cool way and were super creative. So I was able to do all of that stuff. I worked on all that stuff. Uh, so cool. I did safe sex ads. I did AIDS awareness ads. I did, I wrote and directed environmental awareness ads. And then I got to work with all these pop stars and... Ooh, which pop stars? At the time, it was kind of funny. It was like the Strokes and the Foo Fighters and Cool Keith and like, you know, kind of random like here yeah. and there. Anyway, long story short, I rose up the ranks at MTV and I, and I ended up casting my ads because I worked at the pro in the promo department at MTV. So that means it's like the on-air marketing advertising department of MTV. Mm -hmm. And uh, I came to Milk to cast my ads and my promos and my, mm. you know. Uh, so how old yeah. were you at this time? 25. Okay. So you're yeah. quite young. You're saying that you wrote these charming emails to find your way in. Now, what was your major in college? English. And English. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I did English and film too. Really? I did English and then I had like a minor in econ because I, I started as an econ major and then I realized like this is literally the most boring thing I've ever experienced in my life. I'm just going to like switch majors and they were like, you already have enough credits. And I was like, I, I don't care. I need to switch. So I have a minor in econ. But yeah, I was an English major and I did a ton of film. I was like the head of the Stanford Film Society. I'm like a film freak. So I love that we have this similar background because I agree. Learning how to write and communicate is so integral to everything you do. I work in marketing, but essentially all I'm doing all the time is writing. I'm yeah. either like, yeah. you know, trying to convince higher ups at my company that we should do something or I'm writing to our creator audience. So I love that you were an English major. Now, for people that are like dying to break into like any industry, beauty, fashion, mm -hmm. talk to me about this charming, well-worded well email. And do you think that that approach can work today? I mean, I definitely think it, it still has a lot to do with who you know and, and how you network. Mm -hmm. And I think be as scrappy as possible in terms of that. I mean, the, the, the in that I ended up getting was because I was hanging out on a stoop on Ludlow Street. You know, oh, like wow. it wasn't through the traditional means and all, okay. the, all the buttoned up interviews I, I went on. You were in the mix. And those buttoned up interviews were through connections, too. You know, so yeah. it, it's almost like finding a loophole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I do think a well-crafted email, even if it's a cold one, can actually break mm -hmm. through if you are super creative. I think if you can somehow approach a person, do your research, maybe touch on something that you know is really important to them and mm -hmm. say how it connects to you yeah. and what you want to do in your life, that works. It still does. So I mean, I love that. I, yeah. And people leave breadcrumbs, right? They post things on LinkedIn or on their Instagram account oh, yeah. that you can say, hey, I noticed that you're really interested in this. You know, this connects to me in XYZ way. Absolutely. So research is everything. And like, in, and uh, it's all about you, how you cultivate 
a real connection that you feel too, because that is, that is also an energy that is, that is felt like, totally. you know, especially these days, it's like, we feel intentions. We do. It's an energetic thing. Yeah, absolutely. So you're at Milk Studios and you're casting for the promo department of your work at MTV. Yeah. And I knew as soon as I walked into Milk, I just knew I wanted to cast there because of the creative energy there. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up having friends that were in the fashion space. So I ended up going to parties and snowboarding with Rossi. Like I ended up being in these crazy scenarios that I was, I was always feeling a little bit like an outsider, especially in the fashion world in New York. Mm -hmm. For those that maybe don't live here. Yeah, it can be, be a, quite a snooty, exclusive yeah. industry. And, and, and intentionally so, right? I mean, uh, it thrives on intimidation. I know. It's really funny in this day and age where inclusivity is the norm. Like, I really am interested in how actual fashion executives are catching up to that because it was built on this kind of prestige. I don't know how to say it. It's you're either in or you're out. Yeah, yeah. You're, and, I, and I always made a joke that in Fashion Week, I was always attracted to Milk because it accepted all the workers behind the scenes. Mm. That's how Milk started out was like their parties that everybody went to that were like the iconic block parties. And you grew up here, yeah, like, yeah. you know, those were for the workers, actually. And those were the ones that all the clients wanted to come to and all yes. the big models wanted to come to. But it was actually like, the punk bands and the barbecues and like the, it was actually the most real party. Not, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't the glossy gallery party. It was yes. the one for the workers that everybody wanted to come, come to. And so, yeah, there was some kind of like really beautiful democratization of the creative industries that I was attracted to. So I immediately after I was leaving MTV and I wanted to seek out more creative freedom, I knew that partnering with Milk and creating an in-house creative studio would have sort of like a way to to access that and kind of like get the best of fashion because fashion film at the time, this is 2016, or sorry, not 2016, this was 2008. Time, I'm telling you, I'm sorry, guys. I, time is really, it's a blur right now. So yeah, at that time, fashion film held the most potential for creative freedom. Mm. And I was getting to a point at MTV where I'd, you know, kind of sort of seen what I could do there. And I wanted to spread out a little bit and, and do more experimental stuff. And Milk became my partner. And we started a production company where I was a partner and we did creative direction and all sorts of music videos, ads, installations, interactive fashion shows, all of it. Mm. I'm always so interested in people that are visually very creative in terms of where you get your inspirations from. A lot of it is just probably living in New York and just looking around you. But what did you find was fueling you back then in your ideas so that you could kind of like come to the office with like really strong creative ideas that would make your clients happy and make milk happy? I think it's always really important to stay inspired by I, I always bike everywhere. So there's natural inspiration by just biking and being around such a vibrant city. But, you know, regularly challenging yourself with music and going to shows and going to museums. But I, I, I would say that there's a lot to be said for people's internal creativity. And like, it's like the famous, Ogle, David, I think it's David Ogilvy, the famous ad. Yes. Exec. Did you work there? No, I did. You did. I did. So give me the freedom of a tight brief. It's like, I love the challenge of, just letting my mind explode onto. So I feel like I, my philosophy is everyone is creative. As humans, we are born to create. I really like that. Everyone yeah. is creative. Yeah. It's not something that you like have to find. Like it's in you. Mm -hmm. It is. You just have to tap in. Yeah. 
I totally agree with that. Okay, amazing. So you're rising up the ranks. You're sort of, you're starting to work on these fashion films. How does milk makeup come about? I, I know there's a hitch to Sephora that happens in 2016 that you were in the room for and I want to hear about. But even before you're at the point to pitch to Sephora, how does makeup come about? Because I was working with our in-house, you know, creative agency within Milk. It was a production company, a film, produ- a film and sort of interactive production company. Rossi and I were just in constant contact. And Rossi, for those who don't know, Mazdaq Rossi is the founder of Milk Studios and is a co-founder of Milk Makeup. He has an architecture background, but he's also like a Svengali of events and creative X, Y, and Z, like you name it, he's done yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so... Rossi also started Made Fashion Week with his his partners, Janae and Keith. And that actually was an amazing moment because it really galvanized all the creative energy that was happening naturally around Milk and supported all the young designers that weren't being seen at Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week Mm. in Bryant Park. And so Milk got all these sponsors. They got Mac. They got a hair sponsor. They gave the studios to the designers and they just kind of reinvented what fashion week could be. And it was much more experimental. It was so much energy. The parties were amazing. They were. And they broke people like Princess Schooler and Alexander Wang and, you know, incredible designers that, and the blondes and, and, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there's, there was an, a, an amazing roster of people, Pamela Love. Why am I blanking on uh, Jeremy Scott? You know, yeah. people like that. Yeah. We, and, I, I, well, I used to work at Nokia and we sponsored like a Pamela Love mm-hmm. Milk Studios pop-up event. And like, it was so cool. That was in the back of my production. Really? They were giving away tattoos. And I was like, new in my career, I was like, people just get tattoos on a whim. Like, how is this going to work? And like, sure enough, people were like lining up to get tattoos. That was a cool event, though. Such a good event. I was like, this is a great look for Nokia. Yeah. I was happy I like pushed for it. I was like, guys, this is going to be cool. I can't believe you were behind that. Yeah. I remember that. And it was also in the bar, too. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny to think about like, a bar in a photo studio in a working environment. It all worked. Like PC. Those were the days, guys. <laughs> I know. I know. They really were. I don't know if that can happen again. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> it's fun while we had it. Uh, <laughs> maybe not the best for our health, but yeah. But makeup, how does makeup come about? How do you guys say we're going to start making okay, makeup? So, yes, totally. So through all the sort of like creative equity that milk was creating through our production company, through Mm -hmm. creating, you know, their own projects in-house, not just being a, you know, a service for other creatives to come and do their projects. There was just this energy that needed to be captured. And I think we knew that it could be captured in a product and Milk had a history of actually working with Mac. They did a little collab called Mac and Milk during Mm. Made Fashion Week. That was essentially like core Mac products that were just branded Mac and Milk that were out on the, all the sort of displays in the studios just for people to use mm-hmm. and in the bathrooms mm-hmm. and things like that. And so I think that was definitely an inkling and in like Zana, who is another partner at, at Milk Makeup, um, a co-founder that is married to Rossi. And I think she and Rossi were always like, we should really do makeup one day. And I, on the other side of things, were, was seeing it through my lens, which was why I gravitated towards Milk was the same reason why I gravitated towards like an Urban Outfitters when I was growing up in, in Boston as a tween. You know, I was like, I would just hang out there. And I know yeah. a lot of people that identify with that. You yeah. Know, if you're in a small town or even New York, you know, you like you wanted to be around a sense of like alternative fashion and this idea that like you could create your own reality for yourself and your own identity. 
And if you zoom out, you know, twice, that's why people come to New York. If you zoom, zoom back in, that's why people come to milk is to self-actualize on your own terms and really create in the way that's in your integrity and in your truth. And so I know I've done that, even though I'm a cis white woman, <laughs> I know I've articulated myself in the way I want to, because I found that freedom at milk. And I know, and I knew that that was something that could be bottled and like, and I, and Rossi felt the same way. And that's how, that's when we like hunkered down and really wrote up the treatment for it. Wow. Okay. So you put together this treatment and you're like, we can bottle this feeling, this attraction people have towards milk, this like cool idea that you can self-actualize, you can be whoever you want to be, you can use makeup for self-expression, and then you get in the room and you're pitching it to Sephora. What was that pitch like? Were they impressed immediately? What was your role in the pitch? I mean, you know, it's something we just believed in so deeply. We just knew it was real because people from Japan and like Kansas would just end up at the doorstep of milk or in the lobby yeah. and want to just be around whatever it was. So interesting. So there was like, there was something real happening and that was uh, a sense of potential and it, it was real. We just had to craft it, you know, uh, into something tangible. Yes. Yeah. So talk to me about milk today. Like, I don't know how many products you guys have. I know you have a lot of products that everyone loves, including <laughs> me, but it's clean as identified by Sephora and Sephora standards for clean. Um, beauty, makeup, right? You guys don't really, you're not really in skincare. I know a lot of the primers have skincare elements, but it's cosmetics. Um, we do have skincare actually. And oh. we, we, we actually launched with skincare as well, but we have a great, it's a vegan milk cleanser. Oh, I haven't tried that. Okay. I have to get you those. Okay. I need to try. Because they're fantastic. Okay. So it's skincare and makeup. Yes. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. And, and that was a big draw actually when we were first Sephora essentially gave us like if I was to categorize it it would be like a go big or go home kind of deal yes <laughs> like most new brands get like an end cap and a, something that feels very what's an end cap an end cap is sort of like the end of a of a, a display case oh okay got that little yes. piece of real estate in yep. the door and then the next step up is a three foot gondola which is a very small sort of half mm -hmm. and then the next the next step is a six foot gondola oh, which wow. Six feet is quite a large yeah. piece of real estate. So milk got that from the start. Yes. Amazing. Which was terrifying. Yeah. Amazing. Pressure's on. Go big or go home. Yes. yes. Okay. So how do you describe milk today? Milk makeup. I feel like we are st well, stronger than we've ever been in terms of like standing in our integrity as a brand and as a business and as a company, as a group of people. When you have a startup, you you sacrifice a lot because of like sort of urgent the sense of urgency and insanity going on to make things work. And I think uh, we've taken the time over the last couple of years, especially to like get into a groove where we're taking care of people, we're taking care of products in terms of like how sustainable they can be, but also like are the formulations, sorry, Invisalign, are the are the formulations in integrity, like could they be any better? Could they be any mm. cleaner? Could they be any more natural in terms of and what what I mean by natural is we try to to be as plant and earth derived as possible. So like when we do use synthetic ingredients, they're fulfilling like a needed purpose, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I feel like we are we are in a place that is very exciting because we are about to get acquired and 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 in in a really exciting growth phase. But Congratulations. I would say that thank you. I would say that we are also like 
really, really conscious of like one step in foot in front of the other and not doing any like ego moves. <laughs> there are no ego moves, right? Yes. Now. There are just like integrity moves. It's like... I love that. Well, my first memory of encountering milk makeup was the cheek blush, the like the lip and cheek. Yeah, yeah. What's it called? It's lip and cheek. Lip and cheek. Okay. I've only used it on my cheeks, not on my lips. Um, you could. But it gives such a beautiful flush. I'm sure that product is still around today. I know there are like different iterations of it. There's like, smaller sizes, bigger sizes. I love that product. And it's so interesting to me because I've had, without naming the brand, I'm sure you know the brand, I've had like PR reach out being like this new, innovative, like uh, cheek blush. And I'm like, uh, Milk was doing this five years ago. This is not innovative. Okay. So this, <laughs> in terms of the stick, yes. I cannot say we own the stick. I think our our formulation is the most hydrating and beautiful in mm -hmm. terms of the colors we have and in terms of the payoff. Truth be told, when we went to when we were crafting the brand from the beginning, we were really trying to improve upon our staples that mm -hmm. we had in our, on our makeup bags. Yeah. We didn't, we want to, and, and, um, at the time Tarte was like, you know, the Tarte stick. Oh, you know the Tarte stick? yes, I do. Back when Tarte was like all minimal and like, yes, yeah. Tarte's changed so much. It really has. I know. I'm like trying to remember that old Tarte, but yes. Do you remember that? Yeah. And then Tarte's not the only one. NARS multiple. Sure. And well, and I'm sure like outside of the US, I'm sure like in Japan and Korea, yeah, they've yeah. had these sticks like, yeah, so you know, five years before. Sticks have been around. You know, we came out with a, quite a large one that could probably last you a lifetime. Yes. And so and I also, feel like I've had the same one <laughs> literally for five years. Like it's probably expired. So <laughs> not maybe something to learn from um, in terms of, you know, how many grams. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So anyway, that the minis exist not only for your purse size and your bag size and travel reasons, but it just makes more sense, you know. Yes, yes. And how many employees work at Milk Now Makeup? I would say uh, up being towards 60. 60. Yeah. I had um, Sophia Rowe on this podcast, who we love, and she talked about how it was like one of her first... She's like, I had no idea what I was doing, but like Gigi was so supportive and everyone believed in me and I felt really like free and comfortable to express myself there. And it was like... She was like, I remember having to write emails and like, I literally like, didn't know how to write like a corporate email, but I felt comfortable and safe there and supported as a creative. And that was just so cool to hear because if she had gone to work at like an Estee Lauder, they would have eaten her alive, I'm sure. Yeah. And I mean, bless her, because that was also kind of a crazy time where we were still finding our identity as a company. So we didn't have like proper HR and right. like a whole system of support and I myself was in the middle, like I had to be a founder and a creative director doing print and video and everything else, like in a room with all my art directors. I, I just didn't, I, I, I really realized after post COVID, like how distracted and how detrimental that was for my men mentality in terms mm. of being a leader, because I just, your you attention know. was split. Oh, God. I was kind of in an insane mindset because I was just running around all the time. And I'm a creative person and I'm a vision person. And I'm also like, I would say I'm probably like 60, 40 introvert, extrovert, maybe the other way around. But I, I'm pretty balanced in mm -hmm. terms of like, I really need my alone time if I'm going to be creative, if I'm going to write. Yeah. I didn't get that. So... Sophia is like a star. You know, yeah. I knew from the beginning, I was like, you are just on a rocket ship and and it was like such an amazing thing to work with her uh and see like she could do any she can do anything 
in the yeah. world. Like it's, <laughs> she's, she's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to refer to my notes for this next question because I want to get it all the stats correct. So in June 2020, Milk Makeup shared its diversity stats with Sharon's Pull Up or Shut Up initiative. Mm-hmm. By the way, you guys were one of the very few brands who did share. Many brands opted to not share. I right. mean, um, for those who are unfamiliar, Sharon of Uomo Beauty basically told all of these brands like, okay, if you guys are about Black Lives Matter, you're posting your squares, like, tell us how many Black people work at the company. So citing 9% of its employees as Black, none of which were at the executive level, but you guys in 2020 disclosed 9% of your employees were Black. Um, today, 16% of the brand's employees are Black. So I want to hear from you. What have you learned during the process of diversifying the brand as a white female co-founder? And what role have you played in moving these DE&I efforts forward? Yeah, so we've learned a lot about how to create an an actual inclusive hiring process within our company by leveraging our employees to be voices in vetting people and also having sort of like an open, just an open group. We have a human and culture group that's like an official group that none of the founders go to. So it's like a safe space just with HR and it's a cross-functional team that meets And they talk about anything that may come up that is an issue or that is a human and culture, you know, Mm. subject to go over. And it goes right to the top if it comes up and we deal with it immediately. And that can span from like, there should be more shades in this range or this shade doesn't, this shade doesn't work for a certain type of person or this formulation is, it doesn't work for certain skin, skin types, or I didn't appreciate the casting on this last campaign to all the way to when something was said in the last staff meeting, like that needs to be addressed, you know, like mm-hmm. something didn't sit the right way and mm-hmm. it needs to be addressed. And like, it just gets addressed, you know, like now we can actually have this channel where I feel like that kind of communication, there was a lot of, you know, old school corporate, not that we're cor- a corporate company at all, but there was that kind of sense that you couldn't speak up, mm-hmm. I think. And now you can, and it's okay. And, and it's like really encouraged. And so And then we also have this democratized vetting system and interview system with every new hire. And so the human and culture group gets to, and, and also it's, 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 it's like this inclusive kind of structure in place that not only helps the people that work at the company feel supported, but then every new hire, that's the first thing they, they see and they interact with is like this group of people talking to them about who we are and what we're doing here. And so that has been integral and it's also helped just really boost the diversity in general, you know? Mm-hmm. So we went from, I think, I don't love an acronym. I, I don't think anybody does, but like we were 35% BIPOC out of a hundred and now we're 48, I think we're at now. And, Amazing. you know, it's, we're getting more and more diverse every year and it's a beautiful thing. And so. And, and would you say the company is better for it? Because I find that absolutely. that's, that's what business leaders kind of figure out like the more diversity in the room the better it is for everyone including your bottom line absolutely but yeah. I like i think like fairness is at the heart of it all you know it's just like it's it's just better minds at the table ultimately and then beyond that in terms of me personally i i work at a at an interesting place i started at the company as the creative director and the co-founder so i would i was really you know really really hands-on in terms of all our campaigns and making mm-hmm. sure we were uh, showing a wide range of people from the get-go. And um, and then about two and a half, three years in, 
I knew that it was, it was a moment where I, I was not the best person to manage such a big team. I couldn't, as I said, like I was kind of referring to it earlier. It was hard for me to do all the things, to be like a co-founder, to be a voice for the brand, be ripped away to do PR and all the, to wear so many hats, you know, and then also manage a team that needed a lot. And like we, as I said, we didn't have like full, a full HR team. We don't just have an HR person. We have like an HR team. Yeah. And so we have like five people that really take care of our staff now. And that was not there for a while. And if I had any advice to give anybody, you know, anybody starting a company, it's like, have that intact from day one. So I've been in a really beautiful place where I can be overseeing like sort of being a vision person for the company and being like, okay, what, what do we need? What, where can this go next? What are the trends? What's Mm -hmm. happening? And I work directly with creative, but I also work with marketing and, and, um, I work in the philanthropic department or I lead it, I guess, with HR and I work with HR, you know? So it's like this kind of interesting hybrid role that is very me. I like to create my own identity. I, I've never been one to just like fit into an existing role. I've yes. like kind of hybridized it, which I, to anybody listening, I highly recommend doing that yes. and, and choosing your own adventure and creating it for yourself. But I knew back in, yeah, back in like 2019, that we really needed, like in order to create kind of like a level playing field, we needed to create a paid internship program. And so we did that back then. And then that, well, we started the development of that back then. And a lot of that was actually influenced by these great women, uh, Ida and Geneva from Scope of Work. I don't know if you know that company, but they work, uh, they basically create more equity in creative roles in New York for BIPOC creatives, you know, like they just do incredible stuff and they, they really influenced me and uh, just understanding like, duh, like every single company should have a paid internship position, like a program, sorry. It just doesn't make sense. It's ex- it's exclusive if it's not paid because right. not everybody can access that. Of so course. that was step one. And then step two was really developing our philanthropic program, which uh, is really our tagline. When I was creative director, I, I, I created a tagline for or like a mantra for our company called Live Your Look. And that was in direct response to how many, how diverse our audience really is, like gender. Yes. Also, every identity, like when we came out in Sephora, we were really, we really made some waves in 2016 where... For showing men, right? Not just men, but people that weren't All, in this yes. in this sort of like supermodel glam. Mode. Yes, yes. And, and it's interesting because we started this conversation talking about casting. And one of the things that's always stood out to me about milk makeup is the casting of your models of seeing not your typical gorgeous supermodel, but beautiful. I mean, let's be fair. Everyone you guys work with is beautiful, but they're not necessarily a size zero or they're not necessarily, you know, and, and showing makeup on all genders, working with trans models. I mean, that in and of itself is very atypical in beauty now still. You know, it's getting more normal, I guess. But yeah, we were the one of one of the first brands to really just show people on their own terms. I mean, mm-hmm. we we definitely never ever put an aesthetic on a person. We always right. worked with who they already were. Yes, with our products. You know, yes. what I mean? Do you hear from men that use your products? Oh yeah. What do What do they share with you? They just share that it's super easy to use, intuitive. I think that's really that's the most attractive thing is that they feel so comfortable using it. And it just seeps straight into the skin. It's hydrating. It's like just easy, intuitive, yes. you know? Um, and I think that's where products like Sunshine Skin Tint really come in. Like a, 
you know, maybe something they would have to pat in a ton would, or like a doe foot, for example, for a man would kind of like be weird. Whereas it's like a rollerball. I think they've, yeah. you know, they've had a rollerball deodorant. They get it. Like, <laughs> Maybe they, you know, I, I don't know. There's a way that somehow that product really resonates. And then, yeah, I mean, the brow products, a lot more and more every day. It's amazing. Yes. What are your favorite milk makeup products? Like the ones that you're really proud of and just find yourself reaching for all the time? I would say the number one, like, wow, one for us. And I cannot take any credit for it because it's all our product team, but it's hydro. I find it's hydro. Have you, have you, yeah. The primer. Have you, I have, it's great. I have recently cut out primers as part of my getting ready. Cause I'm like, I already have all this skincare on, yeah. but yeah, yeah. It is a beautiful primer and it is so high. And for me, someone with dry skin, that hydration is unreal. Yeah, I have dry skin too. I love it. I'm addicted to it. And I'm not, I would never, ever have used a primer. So it's like yeah. one of those things. Yeah, it's a great product. It's a great product. It's kind of unexpected. It's really, I feel like it does what we do best, which is like really have an interesting ingredient story that actually does something, mm -hmm. you know, that mm -hmm. is not just shtick. Yep. That's uh, using agave and hemp sativa seed oil to like create an otherworldly product that is a universal product that yes. works on every skin tone. Yes. That is that is the number one primer in Sephora. I mean, it, it is, is wild. Wow. That That's is amazing. wild. That's amazing. And sativa oil is just, it's incredible. I'm yeah. finding there were all of these, there's a company called High Beauty. It's a very small brand. They have this facial serum and I'm like, what is in this? That's so good. And I realized it's sativa oil. It's so good. Yeah. There's the only reason people are not up on it is because of the social like weirdness around it, which and is so it, weird. It just as luxurious as like an organ oil. You know I what know, I mean? It's I or jojoba. It's exactly. It, it's it's that beautiful and nourishing. And it's like it, it's everywhere now, though. Yes. <laughs> I love also the eye paint, I believe it's called with those like kind of metallic finishes that comes in that tube. I think that's like such an I can't do like a powdered palette with like blend. Like I always say, like I buy Pat McGrath because I like love the idea of being the Pat McGrath girl. But in reality, I don't have the skills to do yeah. the eye look. So I yeah. love like an easy Me too. all over eye color. Yeah, I Yes. I go crazy for a shadow stick. Yeah. What shadow sticks do you like? <laughs> um, love Bobby Brown. Love. Have you tried Jones Road? Oh, yeah. Okay. And thoughts? I, I like it. I okay. haven't tried the eye. I do love the bomb. The like. Okay. This miracle bomb. The miracle bomb. I wanted to like it. You like, really? I wanted to like the miracle bomb. It's a huge package. It's, hum it's humongous. Why is it so big? Why is it so big? Back to our discussion about having something for five years. Why is it so big? It's a, yeah, it's one of those. And I find it's like you have to like warm it up. There's like a lot of work that needs to be right, done. Right. I would love for it to be a little bit more seamless to use. But I do like the finish on my skin. I do like the, I like the finish on my skin too. I yeah. got the darkest one and I, I love that finish. Oh, yes. And they sent me Dusty Rose, which. What? <laughs> as, a, as a highlighter. Yeah. yeah. The second I saw Dusty, I was like, this is not going to work with my melanin. Nobody wants to be Dusty, yeah, by the way. Also. I know. Naming and makeup, that that's important. You can't just name your product anything. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you like Bobby Brown. Any other? Yeah. No, I love nude sticks. Okay. I'm into them. Okay. I think they have some great colors and okay. I would never have like done, uh, in the past, I would never have like, I, I, I'm still kind of finding my way, Brooke, with the eye. <laughs> I feel like I've done, I don't know that I can get away with that many eye looks. I feel very in, in, insecure with it. It's intimidating. Know? It's an yeah. intimidating space. It is. And, and I'm also in my forties and I'm like, if I, if I make a wrong move, it's like kind of like, mm. 
Well, you're a very youthful someone in your 40s. <laughs> um, so I don't like, I feel like you're very ageless. Other skincare tips or like skincare products that you love? Ooh. Tell us. Okay, so I'm a big bath person. Okay, I'm so jealous. I don't have a bath. You don't? No, I mean, okay, we have a bathtub, but it's literally used for storage. This is New York City living. Oh my God. Whenever all these New York City people come up and they're like, I just love luxuriating in the bath. I'm like, your life sounds so nice. Um, you need to, yeah, the bath. Okay. I know. Well, okay. I would I love gonna, to upgrade this part of my life. The bath is no. like the best place to do a, a, like a facial regimen. Okay, in but the bath. tell us, let me live vicariously through you. Okay, well... Because it opens up your pores, you're in a hot bath, mm -hmm. you can put in some Epsom salts or if you're feeling like a goddess, some like rose oil. Ooh. I love the Dr. Hauschka or I think it's Dr. Teal's. It's like, okay, that's a good one. I also love a mustard bath, Dr. Singha's mustard bath. Have you ever heard hey, of this? I have heard of it, but I've never tried it. Oh, it's amazing. Okay. Just don't let what it are the benefits? It energizes you, okay. but it also relaxes you. It's like this weird thing that you don't have to worry about like being hyped after it. It's actually something that'll like refresh you, but also your zen. It's weird. Okay. I, I, that thing is amazing though, because I actually wanted to take one tonight because I, I didn't get much sleep last night because of we are in a real estate situation where we're looking for a new place and we might have found one, but it's all it's so stressful so in New stressful. York. And so I didn't sleep a wink last night and I was like, I need to take a mustard bath, but I didn't have time. But anyway, I would have taken <laughs> one if I had had my on point schedule. But ever since I've taken baths and been really obsessed with baths, I was born in water actually as a fun fact uh, in Australia in the 70s, Love 79. It. So I feel like I am really into the womb of water, <laughs> really into that. Like, yeah. let me just rebirth myself every day from the world. Love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, once I get in there, I cleanse. And then I always have oil that can double as a cleanser and a moisturizer. Yes. And I really love this one particular oil. I've been saying this a lot. So I don't know, like it, I, I, to anybody that listens, the Living Libations, it's a very... Oh. Love. They're such a hippie brand. Such a hippie brand. They're amazing. The the packaging. Unbelievable. But, but, <laughs> it, it's such a vibe. Like it's it's there's like think it, you're it's so know. wrong that it's right. <laughs> I love it. And they have I mean, they have such good quality sea buckthorn oil. I mean That's it's the one I use. The sea oh. buckthorn best skin ever oil. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Incredible product. I have bought it maybe, I don't know, a hundred times. Like it's, it's so the good. one thing I always yeah. go back to other than milk makeup products, of course. But like I always, always got, got that. In the, and then, um, so I will like put a layer of that on. I actually put that on first thing in the morning too, just to like, I feel dry in the morning. So yeah. if I'm going to go make my son breakfast and, and go my husband. Oh, how old is your son? Eight. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't even know you had I, my son's 16 months. So I've got a long way to go, but I didn't even know that. Eight-year-old son. Yeah, we have, my husband and I have this whole morning ritual where we get up and do like light candles and write for an hour and do this oh whole God. thing. But I always put oil on before. And then, okay, so beyond that, I'll do masks in the bath. It depends on where, what I'm feeling. I'm, I'm always like trying new things. Right now I'm trying a beauty counter one, but also some Osea okay. masks, um, some biology research. I love the oxygen one. Okay, But... The things that I keep going back to after the bath is Osea, the the body oil. That's like mm, I haven't tried it, but I know what you're. I know what you're talking about. Algae or sea? It's it's basically a seaweed body oil. Yeah, it's amazing. I've been wearing. I've been using it for my skin. My skin just soaks it up. I feel incredible. I, I just it's natural. It's beautiful. They're really high integrity products. And then um, 
a friend, actually, April Gargiulo gave me some uh, Bittner's daughter. daughter. They're great. Yes. I, I I really am open though. I, I like to try different stuff. My a friend of mine's working for Aloe Yoga. I got a, a bunch of their samples. Nice, good stuff. I mean, I'm stuff. yeah. Now I'm eyeing your nails right now because oh, yeah. I have wearing off. Well, I have to tell you, it is honestly tragic oh, as you no, can see. No, you're my kind of woman. Okay, because we, I feel like I can keep my hair nice. I can keep my skin, my makeup, my outfit. But like to also expect for my nails to be on point is how do people do it? I mean, I cook. I I'm a cook. And okay, but my family, like I can't. There's oh, no way. So you know what? I was looking at your nails and I thought you had these intentional dots. I do. Oh, okay. I'm obsessed with this because I've been looking for it. I'm like, I don't want to just be they're, a polished they're kind girl. Of coming off, but I only got those like to level set. Like I only got those because I was on a shoot and I like there was a makeup. There was a there was a nail okay. artist. This was two weeks ago. So, and I and in in the in the past two weeks, I've done a lot of weird things like travel and like, they're, just, so they're coming off, but I love them. It's just a simple dot. Just simple red, two red dots on my index and, and middle. <laughs> this is like my next manicure. Yeah. I'm going to do this for myself because do it. it's so cute. It's I, I've cute. Loved it. And then you don't have to worry about your nails chipping. Yeah. I hate getting my nails done. Me too. I'm too busy. Well, I also feel it and I think about it. I like get OCD about it. I oh, feel, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, it's getting my food. Oh, my God. It's good. Yeah. And then it's like you have to worry about it shipping. And then so if you just like forego the whole thing, then you don't have to worry about your nails being done. There's so many. I feel like you're the only like non-nails enthusiast in New York that I've met. I hate it. I can't do it. I hate it. I had like a brief period of getting really into like sitting and doing the like it's nail just art. It's just me. not a sustainable <laughs> Practice. It's not this though. The two red dots. I can do that. A little negative space moment, and it's very chic on these two fingers. Exactly because they actually don't touch everything like everything else, and they stay kind of like this is this is wild that that stayed for. This is an innovation. It is. (laughs) It's an innovation. (laughs) I'm also obsessed with your very chic haircut. It's like a a below the ear bob. Talk to me about this hair. Was your hair like this when we first met? It wasn't. No. Talk to me about this hair evolution you've had. So I've, I was basically a boy for a couple of years before COVID. I went back to that. I, I, I've, I've did that like 10 years prior. Um, had a boy, really short boy haircut for a while. And then I decided to like get a little more femme, but femme on my own terms, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and then this is sort of like where I landed. And so I start here and I do a middle part for a while and I like comb it in the morning and gel it down. And like I bought a, a hair straightener, straightener but yep. I, I'm so, I'm really bad with, upkeep like i'm just i try to be as low maintenance yeah and so i want to like be good about that but it's rare rare that i actually do it it's great unless it's like an event or something um but then it grows out and i just wear it on a side part and it becomes a thing and then you just can chop it back to this and it's become this kind of cycle that i'm into until i'm not into it i don't know until something else comes along you actually brought something up for me. We were talking about beauty, inspirations, icons growing up, uh, not on this interview, but when we were talking before, you brought up Omira, that model from like early 2000s, who I was obsessed You were with. too? I mean, she was, and she was also like signed to Rock Nation. I don't know. She was like a very interesting like model, but she like really stood out to me, right? We, we always saw models in magazines, but like there's something about her that I was just obsessed with. Oh, yeah. And I think- Well, she was in her own power. In her own power. That is a great- great description. And I think even though I was young and I was seeing her image, there was something about her masculine slash feminine slash like androgynous energy that I always thought that is like very cool as I sit here in a dress and heels with long hair. But there was something about that that is very cool to me. And I feel like 
yeah, I don't know. It always just like stayed with me, her image. Totally. And then I don't know who you were like, who was your fave in the 90s supermodels. Yeah. Well, I I know, but tell me who yours. Who I was yours? to Linda. Linda. I was just going to say. It's Linda. I was a Linda girl. It, because of the short hair. Yes. If Linda had had long hair. Exactly. No, never. It would have been a totally different thing. Right? It's yeah. so, was that Guido? Like, well, who did that hair for her? Because oh. when hair like changes a persona, that was one of those moments. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah. She's just so iconic. I, was, I can't believe you were Linda too. I mean... I know. I Linda followed by Naomi, of course. Of course. Yeah. But Naomi's yeah. like everything. Yes. Everything. Yes. Yes. But like in terms of like a weirder, like, I don't know, just. Yeah. There was always something about Linda. Qua, like yes. she, she was. Yeah. She was everything. Have there been any beauty mistakes you've made as you reflect back on your lifetime of experimenting with beauty and looks? Yes. Yeah. There was a time in college where I loved to peroxide the front of my hair only and have this like skunk situation. Oh, that's like kind of relevant kind of now. Right now. I know. Yeah. I've noticed that it looks cuter on the girls now is all I can say. <laughs> Other than that, I don't know. I mean, I guess like I, I dyed my hair black for a really long time when I was in my like Harajuku punk sort of like phase. Yeah. Whatever that was um, when I worked at MTV. And that was a commitment. I also had like a bow wow wow haircut for a second where I shaved the sides and I had sort of like a mullet. Oh, that's like, cool. With the long black hair yeah. down. Yeah, I don't know. I think the worst, the worst fashion related thing I've ever done is probably just like had a mild eating disorder. <laughs> and now I'm like, you know, when I dated a bad guy and like was so self-conscious in my 20s, like... I was just wrapped up in it all and just partying and like yeah. existing on not that much. Yeah. But you're in a good place now. Oh, yeah. Good. Good. I'm happy to hear that. Oh, yeah. Now, you spend a lot of time thinking about Gen Z and and just how this next generation is going to interact with beauty. What do you think the future holds in terms of how people are going to want to approach beauty and self-expression, what they're going to want from makeup companies? Oh, I mean, absolute transparency, honesty, no bullshit. Like, I think it's on on all the beauty companies to help people change their relationship to how they interact with their products. And what I mean by that is like the refillable mm -hmm. nature of it. You know, companies like Loop have tried to create these milkman models where you get, you get refills. We've all seen people do it, but it's also, it's all been very clunky. And of course we've been in COVID. So it's like yeah. just the cleanliness of it has felt weird and, and it's, it's not, it's not figured out yet. Like yeah. the system is not figured out. It's not seamless. It's not mm -hmm. frictionless. And so that I feel like companies leading with ways to do that in new ways, in new ways. And then of course, like transparency with, with formula, transparency with who works for you, yes. showing that and highlighting these people and giving them a voice and having, yes. that's all paramount because in, in how you will resonate, you know, yeah. I think it's like, Gen Z, it's all about truth and kindness and um, fairness. Yes. And do you see differences in the way that younger people are approaching makeup versus, you know, how millennials approach makeup? Obviously, euphoria comes to mind. And I've interviewed Donnie Davy on this podcast, who's the lead makeup artist she's for amazing. euphoria. Yeah. And, and she explained that she's like, I didn't invent euphoria makeup. It was just what yeah. Gen Z was doing that I applied, you know, on screen. But are you seeing differences in terms of the way younger people, you know, relate to color or just doing more experimental looks? Yeah, I think I think it's much more just fluid in general. You know what I mean? It's like 
people are just more experimental with their aesthetic and their identity all the time. And yes. so, and then that's something I wish I could be. I yes. just, maybe if I was younger and maybe not in a position where I, I don't want it to be a distraction per se, you know, in what I'm doing. I think that's really cool. And I also think it's just like an easy way to find joy and yeah. find, you know, a release and like a way to just live in in a little bit of fantasy that is really needed. So needed. Have you guys start, started to think about the metaverse and NFTs yet? Oh, yeah. So we've been doing um, a couple little sessions with okay. experts in the field. One of Love them it. is Amber Allen from okay. AA Labs, I think is her company. Yeah, we're just trying to understand like where it is. I always think about the the documentary General Magic. Do you know this documentary? No. Okay. What's it about? So General Magic is the iPhone before it was the iPhone. Okay. It was like the people that came up with the concept of the mm, iPhone. But the market wasn't ready. Exactly. Yeah. It was like the late 80s. Right, and right. the thing right. was like this big. Right, you right. Know, Product market fit, as we say in the tech industry. It was not there. It was not there. You should really watch that doc. It's amazing. Okay. It's, I'm going to watch it. it. Yeah, because it just shows you. And I and I actually asked Amber, I was like, okay, in terms of general magic and like, <laughs> where the, like are we like... Yeah. But also, if you fast forward to now innovation and time, like it's just so much faster. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's imminent, but it's like, we're in the clunky version now, you know, we're in like the dorky, like weird version now, mm -hmm. but it's probably going to be way more normalized in like three to five years, you know, like where we'll just all of a sudden click kind of like online shopping did when we were like, I'm not going to shop in my phone. And then <laughs> all of a sudden, like you only shop from your phone, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. But I, I'm really excited about how immersive you can get with your own sites, especially in terms of like creating this shopping experience where I'm I'm really interested in the intersection of like where in-store is going versus D2C and what the metaverse can offer in terms of an immersive kind of education experience or cura curation experience where you're going to see things that you would never have normally picked up if you were just online shopping or in-store even. And then you can kind of interact with these people you know, in the metaverse and have conversations and then meet, per, meet someone that loves the same product as you and become friends with them. Yeah. Or in the spirit of Milk Studios, have a psych in a studio where you take content and video together in, in these preset, cool, whatever vibes of like lighting and backgrounds and et cetera. Yeah. And I don't know, I just, there, there's a lot yeah. of potential there that is exciting. Yes. In terms of creating community. And yeah, I, I, I would spend much more time shopping and like immersing myself if, if that existed right now. Totally. It sounds like to me, as you talk about the future of beauty brands, that beauty brands that are not inclusive, sustainable, or transparent about their ingredients don't really have a place in the future. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. It should be table stakes. Like there's yeah. nobody should make a brand without those considerations. It just doesn't make sense. Don't put more stuff in the in the atmosphere, in the environment. Yes. And I think one of the things that stands out to me about milk makeup, again, about that representation and showing different types of people. One of the things I feel like the industry has been slower to evolve on is different age ranges. Like yes. we see. Yeah. Lots of different flavors of young people. But yeah, because of who uses social media. Ah, is that it? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's like the marketing audience and what gets clicks. And they were like, ooh, okay, like, let's just get the most clicks. That's, the, you know, but mm. I don't, that's changing, which is great. Yeah. Because it's not the only way. Yes. Anymore. Yeah. So do you think we'll start to see older models in campaigns? Because um, I think you, again, you've been very at the forefront of having different genders, 
um, trans models, uh, models of all body sizes, but not necessarily. Have you guys used older models? We have here and there. You know, it's subtle. It's happening if you yeah. if you look closely, but it's something we're definitely working on because yeah. it's true to our, three of our founders are women in their 40s. And we're yeah. like, these products work for us. Why are we, you know, like yes. we want women like us to understand that and and get that. And I should say, as someone who's just entered her 30s, I actually love seeing older women represented in things. Yeah, that's great. Like I loved, I know a lot of people didn't like it. And just like that, because I was like, it's cool to see women in their 50s. I listened. (laughs) So I was listening to your NFT episode when you were like talking about First of all, the drama of that. Yes. That show. Yes. Hilarious. But also (laughs) there's so much to talk about with that. But uh, (laughs) euphoria being disturbing and like, I don't like I have a kid too. It's truly hard to watch for me, but I feel like I have to watch it at the same time. Yeah. Anyway, that was a I digress. But yeah, it's cool. I I think the one thing that we've done well over the past couple of years also is like create a diverse content creation team Mm. in-house and and there, there's just a lot of different POVs that make our content and they're always thinking outside the box and like bringing in interesting ways to show age that aren't just like May Musk. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Not everybody looks like May Musk when they're yeah. in there. You know, yeah. Elon Musk's mother for people that are unfamiliar, who is a beautiful woman, but I feel like I've Gorgeous. seen her supermodel. Yeah. yeah. Held up as like, this is what an older woman looks like right. over and over again. Yeah. And there's a million different iterations. It is like touchy with the 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 sex in the city thing with, the, you know, like how used to work being done on the face that we want to encourage, et cetera. Like mm. that stuff is interesting. Whole conversation. It is. Yeah. Because I'm, nobody wants to like everybody live your life, like do your thing, do what's good for you. I know you have chosen to not do anything. Not yet. To your face. But it's also, I mean, you don't need to. And but the, so I hate saying that. Sorry, because no one needs to. So. Let me let me walk that back. You don't need to. No one needs to. It's a, it's a choice that you make. Um, but I think you look great. That was my way Thank of saying you. I think you look Thank great. You. <laughs> yeah, I was saying earlier that like my version is Invis- I have Invisalign. And that's right your now, that's my little. I figured we're going to be a mask for a little while. Six months of six months of Invisalign. And you know, I saw people like Elaine Welteroth do it on camera. I think she did it on camera, or she was like very yeah on camera when she did it. And then Anthony from Queer Eye, and then. Now I'm like, do I need Invisalign? See, everybody says that. Okay. Everybody look into this after. Everybody's after. like, you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna go in. Maybe get Invisalign. Guys, if you've gotten to yeah, you probably have no problems with your teeth as far as I can tell. So far, so good. I never had braces. But back to yeah. our back to our Gwen Stefani conversation. I wanted braces so badly because Gwen made them look so cool. And I would like beg my parents for braces. And they were like, You braces have an aesthetic. I mean, they're they like they're like they're totally a look now. I yeah. know. I know. <laughs> Final question. Um, when do you feel most beautiful? I really, and this is true. I really like when I'm working on a, cl- a creative collaboration, when I'm doing something with purpose. And then like whenever I'm looking at my my son or my husband, they're my biggest fans. So I love it. I can very much relate to that answer. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing so generously with me today. Um, and for everyone listening, I really appreciate it. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. Right, that is a wrap on my conversation with Georgie of Milk Makeup. I hope you guys enjoyed the discussion. 
we have a lot of amazing episodes coming up. One of the episodes I'm so excited about, I was able to speak to Deb from Paula's Choice to do a whole episode about skincare ingredients. Like, what are the skincare ingredients we should be looking for? What are the skincare ingredients that everyone should avoid? How to really like read the back of a label? What skincare products are really going to make a difference in your skin? Just like a whole nerdy conversation on skincare science that I am just excited to share with all of you. I also have an episode coming up around New Face. You guys know I've been using my my little New Face and microcurrent. Does it work? What's the deal? So we've got a lot of really fun skincare discussion coming up, as well as just like talking to other women, not necessarily in the beauty industry that I really admire. So there is lots on the agenda for the Naked Beauty community. Thank you guys so much for your support. If you're not following us on Instagram, follow at Naked Beauty Planet. I'm starting to do a lot more with Naked Beauty Planet. I've just hired a social manager for the first time and starting to develop content franchises and more regular programming and hearing more from the community on the page. So I'm really excited about Naked Beauty Planet 2.0. Thank you guys for all of your support. And I'll be back next week with a new episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.